the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, a nonprofit organization, partnering with people in communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships. On the web at maincf.org. And the time is 10.02. You are listening to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns with Ron Beard coming up next. Good morning, and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine, with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And this morning, we're going to be talking about offshore drilling. What's at stake for Maine? We have no one um, with us in the studio, so we're going to do this by phone. And our first guest is Vivian Newman of the Maine chapter of the Sierra Club. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Vivian. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for being with us and and for helping us with this topic. Um, Offshore drilling is not something we've thought about um, for a number of years, at least on the coast of Maine. Um, Mostly that's because we have a moratorium in place that the federal government has said we're not going to touch um, the offshore um, reserves. What's changed, Vivian? Uh, what has changed is that in uh, in well, first of all, there are similarities. Uh, back in the '70s, there was a big uh, rush on uh, getting energy independence, meaning that we had been cut off from the Middle Eastern source of oil, and there was a big rush to open up as much of the offshore area as possible during the '70s and '80s. Uh, There was a great reaction in particular among the fishermen and others around the Gulf of Maine uh, who feared that the uh, the, uh, George's Bank would be drilled. Um, And as a result, there was a a hold put on this in 1984 for the uh, uh, Northeast here. Uh, Groups around the rest of the country, California, uh, the Northwest Pacific, uh, Florida, Others uh, off um, the Outer Banks from North Carolina all uh, were uh, working to get a similar moratorium on their own areas. And in um, 1991, uh, this all came together uh, along with uh, the, the fact that there had been an assessment by the National Academy of Sciences of the Environmental Studies Program leading up to the leasing. And they uh, covered such things as ecology and uh, socioeconomic impacts and concluded that the Minerals Management Service in the Department of Interior, who is the agency responsible for leasing, was doing a very inadequate job in preparing uh, for the leasing. As a result, uh, President Bush, uh, the senior uh, President Bush, gave a directive to the Minerals Management Service not to um, do a leasing program in all these other areas. Simultaneously, uh, Congress attached a rider to the Department of Interior Appropriations Bill 
forbidding any expenditure by Minerals Management Service uh, in preparation for lease sales. And that has been an annual moratorium uh, renewed each year by Congress, along with a presidential deferral order to Minerals Management Service that has been renewed by President Clinton and uh, the current President Bush. So these are the things that that, um, have prevented leasing and preparation for leasing until this year, and there is a very strong push by industry and others, again, somewhat propelled by concerns about um, Middle East uh, oil being not available to us and the security issues. And um, the annual moratorium will be coming up um, for a vote in committee in another week or so, and there's a very strong likelihood that it will be lifted. Mm. And and if you could give us some idea of some of the um, environmental concerns that you, as a member of the Sierra uh, Club, um, might be concerned about, what what are the things that you most think about when you think about offshore drilling? Well, there are uh, there's a whole range of things. In first place, we have to remember this is not uh, just uh, the isolated drilling in a particular location. It is the uh, whole delivery system, the whole uh, onshore uh, infrastructure system. And um, uh, it, uh, the, the actual drilling is uh, becoming cleaner and cleaner in, in many uh, technological advances, but there still are uh, discharges, there is air pollution, uh, there is disruption of habitat, um, and, and uh, then onshore you have either pipelines or tankers coming in to, to deliver the oil. You have uh, onshore facilities to receive this. And it's, it's much more expansive than, than that. Uh, I, I don't know if, if our listeners might have seen a recent program on television about the uh, Alaska pipeline. Uh, a great deal of emphasis was on the uh, construction of the pipeline and the improvements to prevent some of the uh, oil leaks that could have occurred um, if they had done this in the permafrost without raising the pipeline. What no one really thought about was what happens at the other end of the pipeline and what was that it was the Exxon Valdez. So this is another lesson in how this is a, a, a system. It's not just the drilling rigs themselves. Mm. Well, what are, um, what's the Sierra Club? And I think there are certainly members of Congress who are concerned about the push for offshore drilling. What's the, what's the response? What should we be thinking about as a, as a national policy in terms of, of energy um, that would um, lessen the need to drill um, for uh, offshore oil? Well, clearly our, our uh, push is for conservation, for efficiency, for reduction of the, uh, the uh, rather profligate use of, of oil and gas, uh, but at the same time a conversion to uh, renewables and that kind of independence. And we need to uh, shift our, redirect our, uh, our federal subsidies and, and uh, whole um, incentive programs uh, away from uh, more uh, incentives for uh, drilling and, and more to the um, renewables, wind and tidal and wave and other sources, as long, uh, combined, of course, with the uh, uh, conservation and efficiency. Right. The, um, the oil industry itself is, is saying, um, I've got an article um, 
from a, a Grist magazine, which is an environmental news and commentary, but they're, they're quoting um, oil um, industry sources saying that the offshore uh, shelf um, region could harbor enough natural gas to meet the needs of nations, homes, businesses, industries, and power plants for three decades, says Peggy Laramie, a spokesperson for the American Gas Association. So these are not um, insubstantial um, rev- uh, uh, resources. These, these are pretty significant resources. Well, uh, measured against the rest of the world, however, this is only 3% of the rest of, of the uh, 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 potential for oil and gas uh, worldwide. Uh, and uh, we have to bear in mind also that uh, a lot of this pressure is with regard to current gas prices and the concern about uh, heating oil prices. But none of this would be online uh, for a number of years. Mm. These, these things take quite a long t- uh, time to get underway. And uh, that crisis may be averted by our shifting to, to other sources. And to the conservation and efficiency I mentioned. Great. Well, we're going to keep you on the line and um, go now to um, someone who can help us understand what is out there off of Maine's um, coast. Uh, Walter Anderson is the former Maine state geologist. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Walter. Oh, thank you very much. Walter, tell us just a little bit about the position that you um, held in the past. What, what is the state geologist? Well, I was a state geologist with the Maine Geological Survey for for 27 years, commencing in about 1969 to 1995, and had the opportunity to not only examine in detail the geologic uh, terrain, not only onshore, but uh, offshore also. Mm. So, uh, but prior to that, by the way, I, uh, I've been uh, a, a, a geologist for over 50 years, and the first 12 years of that was spent on oil and gas exploration in the Gulf of Mexico. So you, you've, you probably can help us with some of those questions as well. But oh, first, yes. first tell us a little bit about um, what um, you suspect is um, out and available um, if we were interested in exploring and drilling uh, off the coast of Maine. Sure. Uh, my experience in the Gulf Coast, uh, I've been quite familiar with the geologic terrain down there in that uh, Gulf Coastal region. And I think people should understand that that, that particular geologic terrain, um, rims or falls goes right up the Atlantic uh, coast all the way up into the, uh, up into the Georgia's Banks, the Scotian Shelf, and on up into, uh, uh, on the uh, Grand Banks of Newfoundland. And it's the same geologic terrain. Uh, I've seen the logs and some of the uh, exploration uh, data uh, all the way up the margin of the East Coast, and it's very similar to the to the uh, to the geology uh, in the uh, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, I point out also that uh, the drilling that has taken place on the Scotian Shelf, uh, I've seen some of the records and some of the data there, and it's almost identical to the kind of uh, uh, to the geology we find in the um, in the Gulf of Mexico. Also, the Ibernia uh, discoveries up on the on the Grand Banks off Newfoundland there are also similar. Same kind of rock, same structures, same everything. Mm-hmm. And so um, who's, who's drilling on those sites, which are not in U.S. waters, um, who's drilling on those sites at this point? I mean, uh, uh, well, the, pe- the folks that, you mean on the Scotian Shelf? Yes. Yeah, the Scotian Shelf, uh, the folks there are um, uh, the, the typical uh, uh, Shell, uh, Amoco, Chevron, Mobile, 
other principles. There are a few others, minor ones out there, but uh, I'm looking at a map right now showing the leases that the Canadian government has let out there on the Scotian Shelf, which is really an extension of the George's Banks. Mm. Uh, another point, important thing, I don't think you understand that uh, when the international boundary was established between U.S. and Canada in the 70s, the northeast, I would say the northeast one quarter of the George's Banks is in ca Canadian waters. And I'm looking at a map that shows lease tracks on that northeast corner, uh, northeast end of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the George's Banks. It's under a moratorium, but the Canadians can shut that down any time and commence drilling out there. Mm -hmm. So what do you suspect um, would be um, out there in terms of um, oil and gas reserves that, that would warrant um, further exploration off the coast of Maine? Well, the only thing I can say about as far as the Georgia's Banks concerned, because there's been no drilling because of the moratorium out there, there's been a few test, stratigraphic tests that have been drilled out there. It went to 19,000, 20,000 feet, but, uh, but they were well-off structures. Uh, but the... Uh, uh, looking at the uh, Sable Island uh, uh, gas reserves up there, as you know, we have a major pipeline that goes down through Maine, through the Canadian Maritimes, so through Maine all the way down to Boston, where that gas fields on the Sable Island uh, track are producing quite a bit of gas. I, my, uh, what I've heard uh, on estimates, uh, anywhere from about uh, eight to uh, three uh, TCF or a trillion cubic feet of gas. Uh, of reserves in those uh, three gas fields that were discovered on the on the on the uh, in the uh, in the Sable Island area. Mm. And if if um, uh, the moratorium were lifted and and people um, in industry were interested in in um, doing further exploration, what would be the process? How would they go about that? Uh, well, they've already done some uh, some uh, 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 in the past. Uh, they have done some geophysical. We call it geophysical. Uh, exploration, which is, you know, sound waves, acoustical profiling offshore that determine uh, to try to locate structures. But there hasn't been very much in the way of drilling. And, of course, that's the ultimate uh, test. I mean, you're going to find out what the res ultimate reserves are. You've got to drill the holes to find out exactly what's there and how much. Mm. But just based on what's to the northeast of us and what's further on down uh, into the Gulf of Mexico, uh, you can... The, 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 it is a prospective area and has a potential for uh, substantial reserves, I believe, anyway. And if, if Maine um, were to see that sort of thing happen, would Maine benefit in a, in a particular way? If, if, if it was up to Maine, for instance, um, would Maine benefit either from um, uh, lower energy costs or from the jobs that, that would be created um, by drilling and, and the onshore uh, facilities? Oh, absolutely. I mean, how could it not be? I mean, uh, the, not only the uh, reserves, uh, the uh, possible uh, energy source, but, uh, but also, and also the jobs. I mean, you know, there are tens of millions of gallons of oil that come into, or barrels, I should say, into Portland and Sears Harbor every year, any, uh, as it stands right now. Mm -hmm. It goes up the Montreal port, port Pipeline, but... If those reserves are out there, I cannot see how it would not help it on our on our uh, on our energy situation here. It gets cold up here, <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, it certainly would help us economically. Uh -huh. I do believe, as the previous speaker said, that we should still be looking at an energy mix here. We shouldn't be 
putting all our eggs in one basket. But but if the re- if we could, should at least explore to see what's out there, mm-hmm. and politics will have to uh, take over from there, I guess. And again, a, a final question. Um, again, based on your experience, what drawbacks should the state of Maine be considering? Um, you've outlined some benefits. Do you see particular drawbacks that Maine should be looking at? I I can't think of any with the technologies we have today, both in the GPS systems and uh, and the high high, high tech uh, uh, drilling capabilities we have these days, and floating submersibles and the rest. And uh, I see no detriment to it. As far as the fishing is concerned, uh, I recall many, many, many years out on those rigs in the Gulf of Mexico being actually chauffeured out there on fishing boats and fishing boats about us, and uh, I see no conflict with them. I know that that's a political issue up there. I, I think it's misinformation, but I see no detriment there or to navigation. But How about, uh, how about the environmental effects, uh, uh, the possible um, pollution effects that uh, Vivian uh, Newman from the main chapter Well, I, I, don't, I don't see that as being a major, uh, with the technologies we have out there today, it's, that's not a, a major issue at all. Uh, I think there are there are more spills involved with maybe uh, tanker traffic going in and out of uh, today, even today, uh, uh, along the coast. That's the primary one. But I, can, I don't see any major um, a, a problem with, uh, with with offshore drilling. Okay. Well, thanks, Walter, for joining us sure. here on Talk of the Towns. Okay, That's, thank you very much. Thank you. Walter Anderson, um, former uh, Maine State geologist, you're listening to Talk of the Towns um, this morning, um, a call-in uh, program. So if you'd like to participate in this uh, uh, program, you can call us at one 866 625-9378 or locally at 469-0500. Um, we're still uh, on the phone with us is Vivian Newman of the main chapter of the Sierra Club. Um, Vivian, um, it, I wish that both you and Walter could be at the same place at the same time so we could have a, a dialogue. Um, but uh, are, have you, you've listened to, to Walter. Um, do, you, do you have comments? Well, I would only comment on the pollution uh, uh, statement and uh, that I I was not talking about oil spills when I was Uh referring to discharges from the the, uh, produced waters and that type of thing in the drilling process and also to the uh, air pollution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, uh, I also um, uh, would like to say that... um, uh, the the pollution issues have uh, begun to be get uh, a bit more attention. They have found enormous amounts of mercury around the rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, and that prompted the Minerals Management Service to commission a, a particular study on this. There have been a few isolated um, uh, technological uh, looks at um, or technical looks at uh, uh, discharges of uh, Norway and the effects on the cod population, and there seem to be some links of uh, uh, detrimental uh, effects there. The other thing is on the fisheries, um, uh, I believe that there has been some evidence that the rigs definitely attract fish, uh, and that this has contributed to overfishing by recreational fishermen in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, there is no evidence that the rigs actually provide uh, uh, habitat that increases the fish population. So um, 
it, it's it's all very convenient. It's sort of like uh, shooting fish in a barrel to have an oil rig with with the uh, fish gathering around it for um, um, recreational fishermen. Okay, um, four six nine zero five hundred or toll free one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We're talking about offshore drilling. What's at stake for Maine? Well, now we're joined by Todd Burrows. Todd is with the Maine State Planning Office. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Todd. Thank you, Ron. Um, tell us a little bit about the State Planning Office and and the the role uh, that it plays with. Uh, kind of the, the shore. Uh, there's something called the Maine Coastal Program that's connected. So tell us a little bit about how that all works. Sure. Uh, the Maine State Planning Office is in the executive department of the state government. And basically, its function is to uh, assist and advise the governor and other state agencies on land use, natural resource, and economic policy issues, particularly those that involve multiple state agencies. Um, in addition, SPO assists the legislature with information and analyses on these topics and also provides local and regional uh, financial and technical assistance to Maine towns and cities. Um, As you mentioned, SPO does administer the Maine Coastal Program, among other programs that help coordinate uh, development and implementation of state policy. Um, Maine's Coastal Program is what would we call a networked program, and that means that SPO is sort of the primary administer of the federal funding and the program as a whole, but that a number of the activities of the program, uh, environmental protection, public outreach and education, uh, support for fisheries management activities are carried out by a variety of state agencies, principally um, Department of Environmental Protection and Department of Marine Resources. So if, if there were a proposal to um, uh, explore and, and uh, drill for offshore oil or gas, um, I would imagine that both the State Planning Office and the Coastal Program would have a role in helping to advise both the governor and the legislature. Yeah, I, I think it might be helpful for your listener just to back up a step, if I may. I was had the pleasure of listening to the uh, comments from the earlier speakers, and just like to react to a couple things. If yes, I go ahead. Um, my understanding, in terms of on the legislative side, um, it's my understanding that the leading bills, I guess, before Congress are looking primarily to um, allow or lift the moratorium, at any rate, for leasing in some specific areas, Eastern Gulf of Mexico and Alaska, I believe. None of that legislation that I'm aware of, except for one one very general piece, uh, is targeted at what's called the North Atlantic Planning Area, which extends from Maine down to New Jersey. So that I guess viewed that way, I guess the likelihood of of changing the moratorium in Maine might be uh, viewed somewhat differently. Also, um, I don't know if you captured this in the first part of your show. The Minerals Management Service every five years develops a plan for leasing areas on the Outer Continental Shelf. And that plan has reached the draft stage. And at this point, uh, Minerals Management is not proposing uh, any leasing on the North Atlantic planning area, including the Georgia's Bank area, until 2012. I think naturally that, that picture could change uh, if Congress changed the law in that area, but there's no current proposal um, to do so right. at, the, at the federal level. So, um, again, it, even mm-hmm. though that there's no current proposal, I think yeah. um, uh, politically we can kind of read the headlines. Uh, the the uh, New York Times, April 9th, says offshore drilling plan widens rifts over energy policy. We're mm-hmm. certainly hearing a lot about that um, in, in the kind of national dialogue. Certainly. So politics might change what, what policy exists. Um, what would be the, the role um, if we were to see something escalate in terms of uh, the need to tap those resources? Oh, sure. Under the uh, Coastal Zone Management Act, uh, Maine and other coastal states that have an approved Coastal Zone Management Program 
have an ability to review um, federally permitted activities that would be part of an OCS development plan for consistency with certain state environmental laws that have been adopted uh, as part, excuse me, as part of that state's coastal zone management program. So under the, that would be that authority under the Coastal Zone Management Act to look at uh, federal licenses and permits, for example, um, Army Corps of Engineer permits or EPA air or water licenses to see how they match up against uh, comparable state requirements that are part of the state's coastal program and uh, basically uh, concur that they meet those uh, requirements or object if they don't. So there would be that authority. In addition, um, I don't know if we've talked about the land side aspect of OCS development. And OCS refers to offshore. Oh, uh, pardon me, outer continental shelf. Outer, oh, thank you, yes. Yeah, that's basically the area in which I think these activities would, are being, would be contemplated. Basically, federal land outside of Maine beyond three nautical miles mm-hmm. out to the 200-mile limit of uh, U.S. jurisdiction. Um, in the event that there were OCS development somewhere, <laughs> it'd be typical that there would be some landside development associated with that, um, among other things, for the processing of, say, natural gas, which would need to be processed to some extent before it could enter a pipeline and be used by consumers. Um, siting of industrial facilities of that kind would be subject to state regulation under state land use and environmental laws. So that would be another um, manner in which the state would become involved in the review of the activity. Mm-hmm. And and the, the notion of, of Maine's energy picture, um, does state planning office kind of oversee um, that aspect of, of, of policy? Is there um, an office of energy in the state of Maine? Yeah, the uh, Governor Baldacci established in, within his, his uh, office a Office of Energy, Independence, and Security, which is headed uh, by Beth Nagusky. And its aim is really to, to push for increased use of uh, renewable energy sources and conservation measures as a way to address uh, energy needs. And the, the, so our, one of our previous speakers, Walter Anderson, former state geologist, was saying, well, you know, those are, those are important steps, but we ought to consider um, the, the, the offshore oil and gas resources as part of the mix. Um, so at the, at the current time, um, the, the governor's policy is to say, no, we're, we're really looking to renewables and, and uh, other sources, conservation, for instance. I think one of the reasons I know Beth Nagoski has pointed the fact that whereas maybe 20, 15, 20 years ago the percentage of natural gas in the state's the region's energy mix was at zero, it's now it's significantly higher in I guess the 40 to 60 percent range, I'm not sure the exact figure, and that there are uh, consequences of being that reliant on a single fuel source with uh, volatile price. I think that's one of the primary reasons, really, to push for greater use of renewables and conservation as a way to address the needs here and elsewhere in the region. Again, um, not that you have the answer to this, but, um, again, um, um, I would say that probably the proponents of of drilling and and, uh, the use of that energy would would point to jobs both offshore and and onshore. Maine certainly has um, a need for well-paying jobs. Um, Is there a sense that the state planning office would would look at um, the economic benefits um, if something were proposed? I think in any uh, activity of that nature that the federal government would be undertaking in terms of leasing or looking at development, on the Outer Continental Shelf, there would be a need to prepare an environmental impact statement um, to take a look at the consequences of that action. And it would be typical that in that setting there would be a look at um, social and economic factors 
and I believe our office would, at a minimum, become involved in reviewing that analysis and perhaps contributing to it. And certainly, there would be that would involve uh, look at jobs, possible jobs, possible tax consequences, things of that nature. An analysis of that kind, though, would, would also be important to consider the costs at which those uh, potential benefits would be obtained in terms of things like uh, potential harm to fisheries or risk to fisheries, displacement of fishing effort, uh, pollution concerns, uh, things of that nature. Mm. And you said that the COSA program is a, is a, a program that's made up of many different um, uh, groups, including mm-hmm. um, uh, our fisheries um, group, uh, Department of Marine Resources. Mm-hmm. Um, how would they fit into uh, that kind of study, looking at the impacts of, of uh, oil and gas exploration or drilling on fisheries? Yeah, I think as Vivian mentioned, that has been an ongoing concern given the, the special nature and special productivity of George's Bank. And it's an issue that the state of Maine and, and other states in the region have been working on very hard to restore our regional fish stocks and you know, enhance that fishery and its contribution to the economy. So I think Maine and every other state in the region, I think, would be looking very hard at that in terms of potential effects on fish populations and the fishing industry. Mm. Well, Todd, you've been very helpful. It sounds like you're saying um, uh, there's no immediate um, proposal. Uh, the closest um, that any exploration could happen, according to the, um, the Department of Interior's uh, current plan, um, wouldn't be until 2012, so we've got some additional time to study the issue. I think that's a fair statement. Mm. Well, again, thanks for being with us um, on Talk you're of the welcome. Towns. You're welcome. Thank you. Todd Burroughs of the Maine State Planning Office um, in Augusta. And um, you're listening to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. The call-in numbers are 1-866-625-9378 or 469-0500. Give us a call if you've got a question um, or a comment about um, offshore drilling. Um, what's at stake for, for Maine? Um, Vivian Newman continues to be with us. Um, she's with the Maine chapter of the Sierra Club. Um, uh, Vivian, you've heard from the state planning office. Does that um, give you any um, uh, peace of mind that our state would be um, looking at these issues and, and studying them? Oh, uh, yes, yes, it does. Uh, I would like to point out on the subject of the jobs that the offshore drilling would bring to to the state of Maine, uh, that should be also uh, viewed uh, in contrast to the jobs that possibly renewable uh, uh, energy industries could bring to the state of Maine. That's right. And um, the, I think we have a, a phone call trying to, to reach us. Is that possible to take the phone call? Um, go ahead with your question or comment. Tell us uh, your first name and where you're coming from. No, we're, we're going to hold that. Okay. So we do have Mike Crocker on the phone with us. Mike is with something called NAMA, which is the Northwest Atle- Atlantic Marine Alliance. Thanks for being with us on Talk of the Towns, Mike. Thanks, John. And, Mike, first of all, tell us a little bit about the Northwest Atlantic Marine Alliance, um, what it does, um, and you're working primarily to look at fisheries issues. Uh, Right. We primarily work with fisheries issues, um, but we take uh, a multi-stakeholder approach to um, the concerns usually. Uh, Our board is made up of conservationists, scientists, um, different fishing scales, uh, and a number of active fishermen in in different um, fisheries from lobstering to uh, tuna to groundfish, mm. and you get, you get you take your name kind of an interesting um, approach to it. Um, it's almost um, looking at it as though you were a European, <laughs> looking at the right. Northwest Atlantic <laughs> instead of what we would, might say is is off our shore. That's right. And, and uh, 
The European explorers refer to it as the Northwest Atlantic. So from the point of view of the ocean, it's Northwest. Great. Well, um, have you looked at the issue of, of uh, drilling? Are, are folks involved in the fishing industry, the scientists, uh, as well as the uh, fishermen and the conservation groups, have they looked at these um, issues around offshore drilling? Uh, are, are you feeling any concern? Uh, there's definitely um, some anxiety over the issue. Um, as far as scientific evidence as to the impacts, um, you know, I, I don't have any particular studies at hand that show detri- detrimental effects. Um, I know that there's been some associated pollution with other drilling um, operations in the Gulf of Mexico and the North Sea and so forth. Um, but from the point of view of a delicate marine ecosystem, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, a drilling operation um, would create a number of new risks that could um, damage an ecosystem um, and due to the circulation of water in the Gulf of Maine, um, pollution would spread pretty rapidly throughout the system. Yeah, just describe that. Um, the Gulf of Maine is kind of like a big basin, isn't it, out there? And, uh, right. How, you know, if, if drilling were to happen on the Georges Banks, which is kind of, um, kind of at, uh, if this was a clock, if, if, if the uh, basin were a clock, and we were talking about, what, about 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock? Sure. On, on that kind of dial, um, that's where drilling might occur. It's also the fishing grounds. What happens to water circulating um, in, in the Gulf of Maine that way? Well, the reason, and you'd have to talk to a, a physical oceanographer sure, about sure. this, but the, the reason uh, the Gulf of Maine is, is so uh, fertile um, is um, largely due to the presence of, the, of Georgia's bank as an undersea feature, um, and then winds and currents and other uh, oceanographic factors that circulate water, um, I believe, in a counterclockwise, counterclockwise fashion through the Gulf of Maine, um, and uh, it essentially distributes um, nutrients uh, to fishing grounds from you know, Provincetown uh, up east toward uh, Nova Scotia. Mm. So, um, again, pollution would follow that same track. Uh, presumably, and you know, I'm not an expert in that right, uh, right. area, but everyone is, um, has that I've talked to has brought up the same oceanographic factors. Mm-hmm. And and if um, you saw a, an actual proposal, again, I think we're talking about um, the the um, the idea that um, if there were additional oil and gas um, leases uh, given in the Gulf of Mexico, Alaska, and I believe Virginia is also um, promoting um, those features off of its coast. The idea it might be that um, if those went forward, there might be a, a general lifting of the moratorium. And um, so let's say that um, in 2012, um, we we're going to see some form of exploration. What would, how would you as, as an organization working with both scientists and, and uh, fishermen, conservation groups, how would you approach this issue? How would you um, begin to in- involve people in studying it? Um, well, I mean, we sort of look at all uh, use issues around a recognition that there needs to be a balance of human use and ecological impact, and then a balance between the human uses themselves. Um, so, you know, we certainly recognize our need to reduce dependence on foreign oil and, um, and create jobs and so forth. So there needs to be an socioeconomic analysis in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a purely ecological point of view, the, the immediate risk to fisheries is through, I would um, presume, habitat destruction, um, 
uh, in the drilling itself, and then associated contamination of water, either through discharge uh, or a spill. Um, and, you know, there's, there's onshore infrastructure that goes along with these sorts of operations, so that provides uh, a new level of risk um, to nearshore habitats and, um, and also an increased volume of, of uh, shipping, which mm-hmm. has associated risk as well. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. Go ahead. And, um, if I was just thinking about the way that uh, NAMA has um, gone about its past work, seems to be um, um, an innovative approach. And maybe you could talk about the approach NAMA might use in terms of bringing people together to look at these issues. Right. Well, I mean, we sort of have um, tried to provide a neutral forum um, for these different stakeholder groups to come together around an issue and really cr- create a dialogue and get everyone's concerns and hopes. Um, out on the table and um, around issues uh, like our involvement with an allocation of um, emergency relief funding to um, the fishing industry uh, and more recently a, um, an effort to build consensus around um, fishing issues in a project, the fleet fishing project. Uh, it's been a useful way to, to open dialogue between competing stakeholders and try to find common ground um, so that there's a fair and balanced outcome. And, uh, you know, we take the position that we don't know what that outcome is necessarily to begin with, and uh, that's really up to the people who are involved. And in this case, you know, there's a number of interest groups, um, from uh, ecologists to states involved, the federal government, um, different fishing interests, and, you know, it's not uniform. There's uh, different fisheries that require different gear, so there's a number of interests within that um, group, uh, and then, of course, conservationists and uh, the oil and gas interests as well. Great. So it's, it's, a, it's a diverse group of people who need to sit down and talk about these issues in an in a open and fair manner, and that's what we tend to provide. Great. Well, thanks for being with us this morning on Talk of the Towns, Mike. Thanks, Ron. Okay, that's Mike Crocker of the Northwest Atlantic Marine Alliance. I do believe we have a phone call. Um, if you do give us your name and, and where you're calling from, and go ahead with your question or comment, please. Still there, caller? Oh, I guess we've lost that caller. Um, give us a call back if you'd like at one 866 625-9378 or locally at 469-0500 because the rest of the program is pretty much yours. Um, give us a call, please, as we talk about offshore drilling. What's at stake for Maine? one 625 Vivian, I believe you're still on the phone. Yes. And I appreciate that. Um, the, 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 the notion that as an environmental group, Sierra Club would, would kind of enter into a process um, with others to talk about the future of, of uh, the coast of Maine. Um, how does that strike you? Well, I, I think uh, we, are, we are an advocacy group, and uh, uh, clearly we have a very strong point of view. Um, uh, obviously, uh, this is a democracy, and we would, we would want to take part in a democratic process. So, so most of your work is to, um, <coughs> excuse me, to um, point out to uh, folks in elected positions um, the views um, that that you hold that, that advocacy um, lobbying type type role where you're trying to look at legislation that's either in in the process or or uh, actual legislation and get people aware of that legislation and tell people um, um, what what you believe. That's right. That's right. 
uh, I think the, the, the problem right now is that because we've had this moratorium for such a long period of time, even though it is only an annually renewed moratorium, most people have uh, probably just decided that that problem has gone away. Mm. And uh, this is nearly a generation now since this uh, whole uh, issue was, was so hot. And uh, we have a new generation to, to, um, to make aware of, of what is at stake. Mm. Let's go ahead and I think we do have a caller on the, on the line. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Well, am I there this time? Yes, you are. Thank you for calling back. <laughs> uh, is this fellow Walt, the, the geologist, is he uh, listening to this? Can he call back? Un- unfortunately not. We, we might be able to get him back. Um, um, but we're Well, I have, I have a question. I, I do a fair amount of work in, in energy policy. It have been doing uh, getting back into it. And one of the things that, that I've come across is that Sable Island gas, natural gas, was originally uh, forecast to last until 2025. And it now appears that it's only good until 2012, six years away. And since that's being used to fire most of the natural gas electric generation we have, uh, I wonder if that fellow Walt might be able to shed some light on that. Mm. Uh, you know, it's certainly quite a change from 2025 to 2012. It doesn't give us a whole lot of time and would seem to uh, uh, press more um, on us getting getting LNG in, whether it be in New Brunswick or Maine, to to feed that same pipeline. But since we do depend um, on natural gas so much for electric generation in the state, you know, I think it's kind of a critical issue. Mm. And it would be good to know... what the reserves of Sable Island are now. Okay, we'll, we'll see if we can answer that. But what your point of view is, is if that's the case, if those um, Sable Island reserves are limited, that we ought to be, um, as an energy policy, we ought to be looking for other sources of natural gas, and that would be through um, shipment of LNG from other places. Or- yeah, and then it, but when you get into LNG, then presently... For East Coast LNG, we're looking at Trinidad, Tobago, and Algeria. And as far as Trinidad, to Tobago goes, uh, right now uh, they haven't been tapped too much, but their their proven reserves are not that great. And so, if uh, if people really start tapping into Trinidad, Tobago's LNG uh, uh, natural gas and converting it to LNG for use on the East Coast, those at the rate we're using natural gas, those reserves wouldn't last a whole long time. Algeria has quite a lot of uh, natural gas reserves, but with the uh, Ukrainian thing, uh, Russian, where, where Russia stopped uh, shipping natural gas mm-hmm. because yes. of the Ukrainian blow-up there, then the European countries are not regarding Russia as a reliable partner. Now, Putin's trying to do something about that, but in the meanwhile, I believe that that Europe is now looking at Algeria for itself. There are pipelines going from Algeria to Italy and Spain, and so they might expand that use from Algeria, which you see where I'm going, is that that maybe Algeria 
isn't the natural gas gold mine for LNG for the U.S. East Coast that right. we thought it might be. Right. So you, what you're describing, unless we're going to, to um, uh, drill ourselves and, and look for reserves off our coast, you're, you're, just, you're kind of describing that we're going along around the world looking for pockets of, of uh, liquefied natural gas that we can use for our energy uh, production, and we're trying to kind of see if those will, will, will work. Vivian, you're still on the phone. Well, uh, if yeah, I go can ahead. Uh, add one thing, yeah. is, is that... We really should have a good debate on how far we want to go into LNG. I, right. Uh, I mean, it looks like we're probably going to have to go in that direction, but if we do, we're putting ourselves back into the same situation that we have with imported petroleum oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that a, a lot of this, for instance, Iran and, and Russia have the largest natural gas reserves in the world. And in Russia is, uh, oh, I mean, it goes from the west to the east. You know, in the in the, in the east, they, you know, they're looking at China and India and in Japan and places like that. And in the west, they're looking at Europe. Um, so I don't know if we'd be getting that much LNG from Russia. And as far as Iran, we're once again getting into a rather unstable situation. Right. Let's let's see if uh, Vivian has a comment. Vivian, your your point of view, I think, has been that, that um, we really need to be finding renewable sources, um, uh, looking at conservation um, as part of the mix, and th- that that might be the way that we uh, um, kind of solve this issue, rather than kind of tapping, um, you know, diminishing oil and gas reserves wherever they are in the world. That's right, and I think I think the thing is that we 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 haven't even mentioned the effects on the climate uh, from the emissions, and uh, that's a very compelling reason even more uh, for us to be looking at sources other than fossil fuels for our energy. Uh, in the first place, fossil fuels are finite, uh, and uh, we we need to be thinking of what then once those have run out, even if even if we drain every drop. Uh, but uh, obviously, a more compelling thing in the in the uh, uh, background here is the climate effects of using fossil fuels. And um, clearly, we need at least a mix in order to to reduce that. Uh, am I still there? Yes. Go ahead, please. Uh, it, over the last year, I I, I was in the energy policy from the mid seventies and into the early eighties here in Maine. Uh, and I've just gotten back into it, and in getting back into it over the last year and, and looking at consumption, uh, there's simply no way that, that renewable resources, unfortunately, can take care of our present consumption. Uh, and so it, it's really great to, to think that, uh, but it, we've really got to cut down on consumption for renewables to come anywhere close to meeting the consumption that we have today. I mean, it would be just impossible. Uh, I mean, I've gone so far now, at, at least in electrical generation, to thinking that if, if, if we don't both increase our, our end-use efficiency plus uh, increase our, our generation efficiency, 
which today in, in thermal generating plants is, is what we call condensing power plants. In a, a, about in a standard condensing power plant, two-thirds of the heat input is wasted in, in, in cooling water. And even in the n- newer combined cycle natural gas plants, they're maybe 45% efficient. We've really got to get more efficient in, in generation through combined heat and power and what we call distributed generation. But if if we can't do that, I mean, we've got to do that, but if, if I don't know if it will make up the difference. I'm really seriously considering these days that we've, maybe we've got to look at another nuke. Mm. I mean, it's that bad. People, uh, we've really got to, got to change the way we use and generate electricity. And this doesn't even address the transportation problem. Well, you've certainly posed some great questions. We probably will not be able to get Walter Anderson back on the line. Okay, well, I'm really sorry that you couldn't, because that, that was the main reason for my calling. Sure. Well, but you've raised a, some great issues that, that um, you know, main people need to be thinking about. And okay, well, I really thank appreciate you. it. I really appreciate it. Yep. Um, talk of the Towns here this morning, and your, um, we're, our topic is offshore drilling, what's at stake for Maine, but we've raged into energy policy as a whole. Um, still on the line with us is Vivian no- Newman of the Maine Chapter after the Sierra Club. Um, If you'd like to give us a call with your comments or your questions, please do so at 1-866-625-9378 or 469-0500. Vivian, we did try to get um, some representation from our congressional delegation, but I think we we left that um, until the last minute. Do you have a sense of some of the bills that are pending um, that that, uh, listeners might want to know about and therefore... um, play their own role in a democracy? Well, there are several uh, bills, both in the House and the Senate. Uh, and, uh, uh, of course, the most pressing and urgent thing is, is the moratorium itself, which is, uh, as I said, probably coming up for vote in another 10 days. And that um, comes up in a vote in committee first? It comes up. Uh, it's probably going to come up in subcommittee and then committee, uh, the appropriations in the House side. And, and uh, where, where are those committees lodged? This is an um, energy policy committee. What's the, what's the name of the committee that would be considering this? It's, it's the Department of Interior Appropriations. And what the moratorium has consisted of is simply a, uh, an injunction against any expenditure by Minerals Management Service for uh, preparation for lease sales or uh, conducting lease sales in these areas along the Atlantic Coast and the Pacific Coast and uh, the eastern Gulf of Mexico, and Bristol Bay in Alaska. Mm. Uh, the downside of this uh, moratorium, I might uh, point out, however, is that it also has meant there was a total stop to the environmental studies program for those areas. So during the 25 years that we've had the moratorium, Minerals Management Service has not been conducting um, uh, environmental studies in those areas. We're way behind on a lot of the understanding of what is there and um, what areas are, are particularly sensitive, um, and uh, you know what what areas need to be uh, clearly put off limits to any any drilling. You're you're probably following the um, the nomination process for a new um, head of the Department of Interior. Is this That's right. is this playing into um, the concerns of the Sierra Club as you look at um, this nomination? Very definitely, very definitely, and it plays into uh, uh, some of the congressional concerns uh, that parallel ours. Uh, for example, the senators from Florida 
uh, had considered uh, placing a hold on that nomination. I don't know exactly where that stands right now, but um, clearly uh, there is great concern in Florida. Right, and, and 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 that's an interesting situation because the governor is uh, the 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 brother of the president, that's and they're right. they're opposing each other in this. Florida does not want to expand offshore that's drilling right. as right. a, as a state. Yes, yes. Um, so, if a citizen, uh, I I, I, I didn't mention other legislation. Yes, I, go I, ahead. I'm sorry, I got off the subject by talking <laughs> about the moratorium itself, but. Uh, there, there are a host of other bills. There is a, a bill from uh, the state of Florida, the two senators from Florida, uh, that would would actually uh, compromise a bit on the eastern Gulf and give a certain uh, portion of that territory to uh, leasing in return for permanent protection for 100 miles off the coast of Florida and an extension of the moratorium uh, for, I think, uh, 10 years or more. Uh, for the entire country, so there is definitely something in in it for us in Maine in supporting that legislation because it would extend the moratorium without uh, having to do this annually. Uh, there is also a bill by a senator from New Jersey that would um, uh, extend, I believe, or or um, make permanent the moratorium for the uh, Northeast, uh, the Northern Atlantic, and the Mid Atlantic lease sale areas. And um, we we would certainly like to see that um, uh, co-sponsored by our senators. Uh, there is uh, there is a, a a very harmful piece of legislation in uh, the House uh, from a congressman from Pennsylvania, Peterson, uh, which would um, really sort of um, uh, play on a lot of misunderstandings. That um, he's proposing that uh, that. Uh, the leases be only for natural gas exploitation. Uh, the point of fact is that uh, if they explore and and drill, uh, if they explore and discover natural gas, uh, that's fine. But if they were going to uh, uh, discover oil, there is nothing to, to stop them from exploiting that. So this is sort of a ruse, this piece of legislation that is uh, saying that, that it would lift the moratorium uh, altogether all around the country uh, and, and focus just on uh, exploration for natural gas. Uh, that sounds very appealing to people that think natural gas is just a clean and easy um, way out of this. Uh, of course, there are uh, a great many of the environmental impacts from drilling for natural gas that uh, are uh, almost identical with the um, drilling for oil. And no, uh, no reason not to go for the oil if, they, if that's what they find when they drill for gas. Great. Well, um, and and if people are interested in learning more, I, I assume that in addition to um, checking their local newspapers and and so on, um, that the Sierra Club and their website would be of use to uh, people who want to follow these issues. That's right. That's right. So, Vivian, thanks for so, being with SierraClub.org. us. SierraClub.org. <laughs> SierraClub.org. Thank you very right. much. Oh, I, I, I really would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, there is a tremendous amount of information, fortunately, being posted on the Minerals Management Service website. And if you want to get the details of uh, comments on the five-year leasing plan and where that is going, uh, and to, to look at the uh, kinds of studies that Minerals Management Service does in preparation for lease sales, uh, there's a great deal of information. That's just mms.gov. Great. Well, thank you for all of the information you've shared with us this morning on Talk of the Towns.
Thank you. That was Vivian Newman um, of the main chapter of the Sierra Club um, helping us out uh, as we think about uh, the issue of offshore drilling, what's at stake for Maine. I also want to thank our guest, Walter Anderson, who is the former Maine State geologist. He joined us uh, by phone, as well as Todd Burroughs from the Maine State Planning Office and Mike Crocker from the Northwest Atlantic Marine Alliance, NAMA, and a very um, informed uh, caller. Um, We can always count on our callers here on WERU. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second Friday at this time for Family Radio Forum and on the third Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our very abbreviated theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests. Thanks to those who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.